take the lead. Uh, let me just start off this way by a show of hands in the room. How many of you today would say, I am a leader? Okay, a few. Uh, online, maybe you can uh, say, I'm a leader in the chat, or if you can, you know, rifle through and find that little hand emoji, you can throw that in there if you, if you are, in fact, a leader. Uh, and what's interesting, uh, in the room here, uh, maybe five hands went up uh, as we think about, you know, the question, am I a leader, and to be able to confidently put that up. And here's why I would suggest the reluctance, I think, for us to throw our hands up in the air on that. For one, it might be just a simple level, like you think about, okay, your role maybe vocationally in life. And you're like, well, you know, based on the fact of where I work or what I do where I work, or maybe you're no longer working, you're like, yeah, I'm not really a, a leader per se. Uh, or maybe it's just the fact that when you think about that phrase, I'm a leader, it just feels very, I, I kind of relate to, to almost saying like if someone asks uh, if you play golf, if you're like, yes, I'm a golfer, it's like, whoa. Because if you play golf, you know that uh, to say I'm a golfer, I mean, that's almost like pushing like I'm a scratch golfer. Otherwise, you just say, oh, I, I play occasionally, or I am a hacker, or something like that, but to say, I'm a golfer, is like, kind of like, mm. So I think sometimes the, I'm a leader statement can kind of feel in that same kind of, that's a big statement to just kind of like, yes, I am. But I would argue that a big part of that is the, you could say, I would say rooted, because I kind of need to take out the puffed out chest version of that just a little bit, um, that this resistance to saying I'm a leader is based not in the fact that you aren't a leader, but more in the realities of, our, I guess you could say, how our culture most defines leadership. Because we think of a leader, at least at first blush, we think often of maybe a position. A position in our culture, we think a leader is someone with a position of leadership, a title, maybe a political office, maybe, uh, maybe it's just someone who is above somebody else on an org chart. But if we kind of strip that away, we say, okay, what really at its essence is leadership? What does it mean to take the lead? Well, I appreciate the, defi uh, the definition that John Maxwell, who's a world-recognized uh, kind of voice in the field of leadership. Uh, he has written more than 75 books on the subject, which is obviously, uh, that's a lot of words uh, between all those books. But he boils leadership down to this one word. John Maxwell says it this way. He says, leadership is influence. At the end of the day, leadership at its core is influence. And so as we think about what it means for us to take the lead, what that means is take advantage of the influence that you have been given, which means you are a leader because everyone has influence. Everyone then is a leader. And so I would say wherever you then find yourself, you know, maybe on the org chart of where you work, or maybe I would just even zoom out and say the org chart of life, you have influence. And you still might push back, you might say, you know, I'm not even in, you know, like I'm in my own home, like I'm a, like a stay-at-home mom or I'm a stay-at-home dad. Well, then you have tremendous influence. Uh, I love the way that Pastor Andy Stanley says it. He says, your most significant leadership accomplishment may not be something that you do, but someone you raise. Or maybe you're here today and you're, maybe you're retired or you're a grandparent and you say, well, I used to be a leader. Well, these days, and developmentalists will talk about this, that kids actually look most to their grandparents' generation as to how to navigate the waters of life ahead. 
Wayne Rice, founder and director of an organization called Understanding Your Teenager, uh, he, looking to the development of research, concludes that young people actually will naturally gravitate to the oldest person who is willing to listen to them and treat them with dignity and respect. And I would say, as I look at my own story, that's certainly true of me, that three of the most influential people in my life are certainly among the oldest. Uh, one gentleman by the name of Jim Rice at 77 years old, another by the name of Wycliffe Bush at 92 years old, and then beyond that, Wayne Kent. <laughs> I've had the privilege to really, you could say, apprentice under uh, Pastor Wayne. He's our lead pastor here. Uh, I've been able to apprentice under him really for the last 17 years of vocational ministry and learning what that means. And then even prior to that, uh, Jim Rice, the 77-year-old gentleman I spoke to, he was the, or spoke of, he was the reason I went to Milligan University to even study ministry. And then in my very first ministry alongside college, uh, Wycliffe Bush, or I called him Mr. Bush, he was or had been a minister for 65 years and was retired, and um, I, at 92 years of age, we would get together on Tuesday mornings, and we'd have a Bible study, we'd eat a couple of McDonald's sausage biscuits and coffee, and, we'd, uh, and he was a tremendous influence in my life. I remember him actually, he would tell the story of driving his Model T Ford from California all the way to Tennessee to go to seminary to become a pastor. Uh, we called those Tuesday mornings, kind of, it was a Mitch Album book at the time, Tuesdays with Maury, so it was uh, Tuesdays with Talty. And so uh, it's, it's a reminder that no matter how old you are, you still have influence, you are still a leader. And then on the flip side of that, uh, I would say no matter how young you are, you are already a leader. Because I think the temptation is to think, you know, you know kids or something like, well, well, maybe someday I'll be a leader. But students, kids, young adults, you have influence now. You are a leader to now, or a leader now. So regardless, so again, where you're at on the org chart of life, every single one of you has influence, and therefore every single one of you is a leader. We are all in positions to take the lead, as our sermon series is suggesting. And so, if leadership is in fact influence, which it is, um, then we could argue that no one in our world has had more influence than the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the greatest leadership example we could look to. And you might balk at that initially, think, okay, if, you know, maybe you're not a Christian and you're like, I don't know, maybe even you are a Christian, you're like, yeah, Jesus is the greatest, but the greatest leadership example, is that, is that what we think of when we think of Jesus? Well, think of it this way. When you think about influence, think about, for example, the year, 2021 that the whole entire world keeps track of time based on the birth of one person, Jesus Christ, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Denomini, the year of our Lord. So it is 2021 because 2,000, 21 years ago, one man was born. Or think about the two most recognized holidays in our world, Christmas and Easter, the birth of one man and the death of resurrection of one man. And then that doesn't even speak to all the nonprofit organizations and the hospitals and the universities and the colleges and like the legal systems that have been impacted by Jesus and his teachings. But I like that I think the way uh, best that uh, John Ortberg, he's a pastor and author, puts it when it comes to the influence of Jesus. He says it this way, he says, suppose you were a gambling man or a gambling woman 2,000 years ago and you were to put money down on who would have more lasting influence. 
the Roman Empire, who controlled the entire known world at the time, or a Jewish carpenter and 12 insignificant followers. Well, isn't it interesting that here we are 2,000 years later, and we still name our children after Jesus' followers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Mary, Martha. And yet, we name our dogs Nero and Caesar. (laughs) No one has influenced the world like Jesus. And so maybe, when it comes to this subject of leadership, rather than always maybe running to the next top seller or philosophy of leadership in our culture, what if we started with the greatest leader, the greatest influencer of all time, Jesus? And so that's what we're gonna do here today. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, if you haven't gotten there already, I invite you to turn in a Bible or in a device that's smart enough to have a Bible on it. Uh, We're gonna be starting in verse 20. And the context of where Jesus is at in his earthly ministry is he has been, he's about three years in on training up these 12 apprentices who he has been trying to teach his ways and specifically even what leadership looks like for them uh, in the days ahead when he's no longer with them. And they're still struggling to get it. Uh, they're, they're, they're struggling to understand the contrast that Jesus is painting between, you could say, the world's way of leadership and his way of leadership. And so after, you could say, the umpteenth time of the disciples not getting it, in Matthew chapter 20, uh, the disciples really kind of top, you know, trying to get positional leadership at the top of the org chart, uh, two of them, James and John, come to Jesus, and they go like next level on this conversation of persuasion with Jesus by bringing their mom to the table. And so that's what we see taking place here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Follow with me. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, she asked a favor of him. What is it you want, Jesus asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. And so obviously James and John and and mom, you know, wanting best for her boys are seeking what's best, at least what they understand to be best by seeking positional leadership. These two want dibs on the top two spots on Jesus' org chart. And it's at that request that Jesus, you could say, makes the turn. He makes the turn and he flips their understanding of positional leadership to what Jesus is gonna reveal as true leadership. And so mama asks, grant that my two boys can be at the top of your left and your right in the kingdom. And Jesus responds, verse 22, he says, you don't know what you are asking. And why? Because who ended up at Jesus' right and left at the end of his earthly life? Two men, and each of them on a cross. And so Jesus says, knowing, he says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup. As fast forward, James would one day be martyred and John exiled. But Jesus goes on, but to sit at my right and my left, it is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And then the passage goes on to say that when the other 10 disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. 
Now, were they indignant? Uh, were they angry because of the lack of spiritual maturity among these two disciples as opposed to the rest of them? No, not at all. They, they were upset. They were flipping out, frankly, because these two got to Jesus first with the same ask that they wanted. And not only did they get to Jesus first, they brought their mommy to the fight. And so, essentially, they're all flipping out on each other. They're, they're losing it, and everyone's starting to jockey again. Who's going to be king of the hill? Who's going to be the top of Jesus' team? And they're scrapping for the top spots. And it's at that moment that Jesus calls, like, an official's timeout here. He calls a timeout, and really, essentially, with his disciples, he calls, you could say, like an ad hoc leadership conference right there on the spot. And in verse 25, we see Jesus essentially give his keynote speech. Jesus called them together and says, you know, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Essentially, Jesus saying, you know, you know that the world's way is positional power and positional leadership. And then Jesus says these four words. These four words that I would argue every single follower of Jesus should memorize, internalize, and rinse, wash, and repeat. Jesus gives us these four words. He says simply this, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And so two words, servant and slave. One, easier to accept than the other. As a servant, we understand, is one who we would define as focused on doing things for others rather than on oneself. And if you've been around the teachings of Jesus any length of time, you know that a significant part of that understanding is to serve. And so you might say, okay, yeah, I'll serve. I'll grow in that. But slave? Well, consider what the word slave means. A slave is someone bound to obey their master's commands and teachings. And so if we would say, if you would say today, you're a follower of Jesus, if you would say Jesus is the Lord, the leader, the master of your life, well then as his follower, you are and have chosen to be bound to his commands, bound to his teachings, of which, and here's the point of Jesus' teaching and the undercurrent through it all, is that when it comes to servant leadership, it is not a suggestion. It is a command, a mandate, of a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, well, I guess you're off the hook. But I would argue that you are letting yourself off the hook of what I believe is the best and most fulfilling approach to life, leadership, and influence. And what we can all appreciate about Jesus is he's not the, you could say the I think we've all heard it, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, that's not Jesus' way. In fact, Jesus' servant style of leadership, it's not just a command, it's not just a teaching, it is the way of Jesus himself, as he would once again in this moment predict what will happen just days uh, later. Verse 28, Jesus' leadership conference session, he concludes with these words, he says, just as the Son of Man, he did not come to be served. There's nothing about his life that ever suggests that he came to be served, but instead to serve. And so much so as to give his life 
as a ransom for many. I've heard it said this way. If you lead for any reason other than to serve others, you will never be a great leader. Because it is impossible to lead like Jesus if you will not serve like Jesus. And so to make this practical, to say, okay, this is the approach that Jesus teaches us. His paradigm is completely different than the world's way. How do we implement this into, uh, you could say, the living of our lives as we all look to take the lead, to leverage the influence that God has given us in whatever sphere we find ourselves in? And so with that, I'm gonna give us three pursuits of servant leadership as painted and displayed by Jesus. The first one is probably arguably the most obvious in servant style leadership, and that is that we serve for others. We serve for others. And when you think about maybe your own life and you know where you are, where you are at, and the greatest leaders or the greatest influences on your life, then I would bet that it is someone who served you. Maybe for you it was a parent who laid down their life every day for you. Um, uh, that's my story. I know my, my parents, they worked their tails off for my two brothers and me, and any work ethic uh, that I have within me that I can point to, I can give direct credit to my mom and dad. Maybe for you, it's, it's, uh, it was someone maybe at work who uh, maybe when there were no opportunities gave you that opportunity. They saw an opportunity in you and they did it for you. They served you. And where you are at in your vocation is the credit of someone else who served you in that way. Uh, maybe as you look back on your story, it was a coach uh, who took the extra time and the extra energy to pour into uh, not just for life on the field, but to make you a better man, a better woman off the field as well. Or maybe for you it was that one grade, that one teacher, when you know, all the other teachers had kind of given up or dismissed you, and this teacher, they believed in you. They poured into you, and again, not for themselves, but they did it for you. Don't you want to be that kind of leader? Don't you want to have that kind of influence that serves for the betterment of another? You know, I was thinking about this subject of taking the lead as it relates to this, uh, this unique Sunday. Uh, the second Sunday in February every year is uh, Racial Reconciliation Sunday, or weekend in our case. And as I was thinking about how this subject can apply to us, and as we think about how is it that we can continue or step forward in serving one another toward greater racial reconciliation in our country as well as in our churches, um, I will say for me, and this is for me, that over the years, as I've tried to you know, learn and grow in this, that it's one of those subjects where, uh, and you might be able to understand what I mean by this, that it's kind of one of those things like the more you learn, the more you realize that that much more that you have to learn. And as I've kind of thought about the different directions that we could go in our time here together, given you know we're all at different places in that journey here uh, in our church, if I were to give us just one next step, uh, because sometimes you start coming up with like 42 next steps, it's like you know 42 options leads to sometimes taking no options. If I had to boil it down for one next step that will apply to every one of us, no matter where we're at in this, it would be this, that we can lead and serve others in this space by listening. That would be the word, that we would choose to listen. Together, 
A few months ago, in our, we have a, a series here called At The Movies where we illustrate uh, God's word through uh, modern day movies and we looked at the movie Remember the Titans as an example uh, for what it looks like and how we can step into greater listening, greater understanding to kind of do as Stephen Covey calls it, seeking first to understand before being understood. And we looked at uh, James, the brother of Jesus, and his uh, direction to do this too. He says that every one of us, in every situation, this is, this is, you know, this is um, ubiquitous across all areas of life, that we should all always be first quick to listen, slow to speak, and thus slow to become angry. And so a couple of ways that we can actually apply this listening. Uh, first, I would encourage you to listen to biblically-centered content when it comes to racial reconciliation. Because sadly, the center of the conversation, even in the church, has moved toward the secular political arena rather than centered in the scriptures. And so rather than take, again, 42 different approaches or options or studies you could do on this, uh, we wanna give one that, uh, that, 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 we, that we really appreciate and are confident in, and it's one called uh, Race and the Gospel by Brian Loritz and Matt Chandler. And uh, you can find that Bible study on our, it's a video-based thing uh, that you can find on our website, firstdecaterorg slash what's happening, as a great place to, you could say, start to listen to biblically-centered content and then from there, I would encourage you where possible, uh, where you have these relationships or maybe where they are yet to be built, to listen in the context of relationship. To listen in the context of, to listen interpersonally in the context of friendship. The kind that, I guess you could say that takes place over coffee and conversation rather than on social media. And, and there's an important thing about this context here when you think about relationship and friendship is that when it comes to relationships in our life, a relationship, a relationship is not a resource. A relationship is never a resource. A relationship is a relationship. A friendship is not a resource. A friendship, a friend is a friend. And so... Over the past year, I've had the opportunity to sit down some, but mostly because of the pandemic, mostly uh, really walking miles and miles around my neighborhood or right there in that parking lot uh, with a phone in hand pressed up against my ear, listening. Listening to my friends of color, black, Korean, Chinese, um, friends who are white, and listening, seeking to understand because, excuse me, <coughs> sorry for that, because when we listen interpersonally, one-on-one, -on -one, um, and I love the way that actually Pastor Brian Loretz puts this. He says that when it comes to the idea of relationship and friendship, uh, he didn't actually talk about it in the study with uh, Matt Chandler, but uh, they certainly reflected it, but he said this in an interview, I heard him somewhere else. He said when it comes to growing in any area, he says it this way, and I, I believe he's absolutely right. He says proximity breeds empathy. But distance breeds suspicion. Proximity and closeness is an environment for empathy, but distance is an environment for suspicion. And, and, it may, and, he, and he went on to say that, that in our culture, unfortunately, the loudest voices on, again, pretty much any given subject, uh, is, he says, seems like they have a PhD in statistics, but a third grade education in empathy. 
And it makes sense, because you think about it, like, you know, how easy is it for us to consume facts and figures and news media at the safety of distance versus empathy? To step in and listen to personal experiences and the feelings and what happens best in the context of a relationship. And so, in loving service, in growing in empathy, may we move toward what is the biblically-centered, eternal reality that we are all growing to move towards. Revelation 7, 9, where one day, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language will stand before the throne together. And so to that end, um, can I take a moment to pray, to lead us in prayer as we pray for this? Heavenly Father, you are our good Father, and we pray that in the perfection that we know is in heaven awaiting us one day, your kingdom come, your will be done right here on earth just as we know it is in heaven. And so Father, for that pursuit, give us today our daily bread, give us what we need each day, every day, and Lord, forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive one another. And Father, as we move forward, may, may you lead us not, lead us through the temptations and the traps and deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. And lead us, Lord, for the sake of your kingdom, all by your power, and of course, for your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so we listen. And it's, it's not on the list. It's on the list. It's just not on the screen. But may we also listen, first and foremost, in prayer. Listen to the Lord in prayer. Okay? All right. So as we want to be just like Jesus, as we lead and take the lead, we do that for others, serving others. And then from there, just like Jesus... We see that we serve with others. Jesus chose to serve with others. And, and when you think about it, it's not hard to imagine. Like if there's anyone on the planet who ever could have just like decided, I'm just gonna do this myself. Uh, I think uh, God in the flesh probably had that market cornered. But nevertheless, he chose. With the original 12 disciples and 2,000 years later with us. He did and he does. He chooses to lead with us. And so, as I think about how that applies even to this time that we're in right now, uh, you know, we spend this hour together where, you know, you have people leading worship or who's ever preaching, maybe being the most visible, but none of what you are experiencing uh, on an hour on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night is at all even remotely close to possible without the dozens and dozens of volunteers and staff on the other side of the camera, on the other side of these doors. I mean, you think about just the audio and the lights and the video that takes place, not just in this room, but in the East Auditorium and those things taking place online. And then you guys even know, there's just like whole control center up there that looks to me like something out of NASA that I have no idea how it works, uh, that is taking place to make all this happen. Then you go down the hall, 
We have our family ministry team who is raising up, uh, you could say the next generation, the church of today, but the next generation of what it means to follow Jesus. And then uh, we have student life tonight and we have our young adult ministry, uh, all looking forward to where it is that we have, uh, is what it means for us to do this together. We have, before you even walk in the building, before you even come online, there is a building and facilities ministry that helps make sure we have a clean, clean and warm and welcoming environment. And then when we get here, we have our mosaic and our hospitality ministry who is really doing the Jesus stuff of Romans 5.17 where it says to welcome and greet one another with the love of Christ. And then let's not forget, this is just an hour. Like the other 167 hours a week, like there's so much more what it means to be a follower of Jesus and the church beyond just sitting shoulder to shoulder all facing this direction on a Sunday morning. And so we have our discipleship ministry where we're living out the mission of following Jesus through growing together and serving together throughout the week in our small groups, in our community missions, in our chapel ministry, our communications ministry, who's all out on the front lines of ministry. And then beyond that, you have really what um, I would say it glues us all together in a front office team that uh, I, I say often like, hey, the whole like up a creek without a paddle expression, you keep us from being that. And all of that takes place in the culture of what we have here as a church because of our leader, our lead pastor, Pastor Wayne Kent, who, to his credit, has always uh, been someone who has shared leadership with the team. For those of you who don't know, maybe haven't been around here for the last few weeks, Pastor Wayne recently announced uh, and communicated to the church his plans for retirement in June of 2022, and that, that he and the elders have named me as his successor in July of 2022. And it's been encouraging really over the last couple of weeks for he and I to hear uh, the affirmations of, the, of you all in the congregation, but uh, the phrase or kind of the sort of phrases that we've heard, I would say more than any other, uh, almost to our surprise, is something to the effect of, well, this is not a surprise. Uh, we, we could see this coming, something to that effect. And the reason for that the credit for that really goes to this reality that in our leader, we have a pastor, a senior pastor, who shares consistently and constantly uh, the leadership with me and the team at large. Rather than what we might call like a, like a leadership hoarder, I think we've all worked with a leadership hoarder. Like we know it's like someone who has to you know, make all the decisions, control all the outcomes, and of course get all the credit. And so... Wayne shares, he, he, we have a culture, we swim in it so much we don't even realize it. He, he, he has created a culture where we get to share, as it's designed to be, what it means to be together, to work together with others to accomplish what he's called us to do as a church. Uh, because it's the only way to do it. It's the way that, again, if anyone had an excuse to not do it that way, Jesus as God in the flesh could have done it, but he set the example, he set the tone by leading with others, first with his 12 disciples, and then with his church 2,000 years later. And so we see in Jesus the model of leadership. It is for others, it is with others, and then third, it is for ultimately the mission. It is for the mission. Jesus never gave up on the mission. Uh, and you could say not just to the point of the cross, but to the point in which the very point was the cross, that that was his mission. Verse 28 of our passage, the mission of Jesus, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus modeled the mission. He lived the mission to the point where he gave his life for the mission. 
And if we are going to follow his example as we follow him, then that must be our mission here on life. And that's how we've articulated as a church, that we exist to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ by growing together and serving together. And so it's all in there. We grow together as we grow in our ways and our understanding of what it means to follow him. And then as we follow him, we of course, of course wanna serve and lead like Jesus together as his church. And so as I think about what that means for us, um, I, I think back to uh, actually a, a leadership conference I was at a couple years ago where the speaker was a pastor who, uh, he actually came out of the, the corporate world. He was an executive um, at the Intel Corporation. And he talked about when working for Intel, he said, working at Intel, it was obvious what the product was. They make you know, microchip processors around the world. Make virtually every computer in our household is somehow run by these Intel chips. And, and he said, he said the, the product at Intel was obvious. But since getting into the pastorate, he says, he had this caution. He says, in the church, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, it is easy for the product to become the senior pastor rather than the mission. And if I could add to his caution, I would say there is no season of ministry where this more needs to be identified as a caution than in the midst, you could say, of a senior pastor to a lead pastor transition. Listen, the pastor of any church is never the point. Devoted followers of Jesus Christ is the only product, if you even wanna use that word, the only product, the only focus, the only energy, the only attention that we are to ever give as to what it means for us to be the church, that we are focused on the mission as the only product, becoming devoted followers of Jesus Christ as we grow and we serve together. And so, so think about how this applies to you and to me and kind of like, okay, okay yeah, I, I know I wanna do this for others, with others, and for the mission. I would ask you this question. What would you say your kind of specific mission is? Um, what, how would you articulate your, you could say, your why on the planet that you're gonna serve others with others for? Um, this past week, I was going through some of my old uh, stuff, and I came across my old Franklin Covey planner. Uh, this is uh, circa 2004, when um, the only thing they had for a smartphone was called a Palm Pilot. It didn't make calls, but it did have a calendar on it, and it was super, like, in my opinion, you know, difficult to work with. So uh, in those days, and maybe some of you still do, still did the, the paper calendar thing with the planner and the whole deal. And a couple, I took a couple of days uh, in early May of 2004, two weeks before my 23rd birthday, and four weeks before Jessica and I would move here uh, to take the role as youth minister, uh, youth pastor here at this church. And I articulated what best I could feel it was my personal mission on the planet as God has designed it. And it was kind of cool to read back on that. And um, this, is, this is what it said. I wrote, with God, I know that there is nothing in life I cannot lead myself, my family, my friends, or my staff through or to. God has given me the gifts and the tools to accomplish the dreams bigger than myself, and I will maintain a healthy ambition to continually reach my fullest potential as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then underneath that, I've got all these like goals and commitments and plans and ideas and all of that, which obviously have shifted over the years, uh, you know, 
both personally and ministry as my roles and responsibilities have shifted. And so you could say the methods, they're always changing. But my mission has not. The mission doesn't change. And underneath that is this verse that reminds us why. Luke chapter 12, verse 48, the words of Jesus. He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. You have been given much. You have been given influence. You are a leader. And so may you, to the glory of God, live for your mission for others and with others as a servant leader the way that Jesus led and served us. And so to that end, let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus, you've given us the example, not just in teaching, but in living his life to the point of ultimate serving and sacrifice. And so may we, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we lead others as we are led by you growing and serving together with others, for others, ultimately for your mission and to your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. As we continue our time of worship, we're going to ask you to stand and we're going to sing a new song called Highlands Song of Ascent. And it really speaks about a God who's going to be with us through this journey or with us at any time through this mission, through this leadership endeavor that uh, Brian spoke of. And no matter where you're at, maybe you're at a mountaintop in your life or or maybe you're walking through a valley or, or somewhere in between, rest assured we have a God that will be with us in all of those spaces. He's pursuing you. He's pouring his grace over you. Let's continue our time this morning.
Gracious God and our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we praise you as we come reconciled to you by your Son, who have given us the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, Lord God Almighty, for doing all you could to reconcile us back to yourself. Now, Lord, it's evident that it's our turn in these times in which we live to follow your example toward all mankind. Somehow, true reconciliation is missing in our lives, in our actions, and in our churches. So much so that the world is in chaos and turmoil. We are repenting now of our great sin, one toward another, wherever the form of it is. It seems that we have been operating on the playground of fear instead of love. I know, Lord, no, we know, Lord, that you have not given us the spirit of fear but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Then I need not, no, we need not fear our brothers nor our sisters, and my brothers and my sisters need not fear me. No differences of any kind should ever separate our motives to love God nor each other. Lord, teach us how to unite ourselves in Christian love toward each other and to all. Let us unite ourselves hand in hand to problem solve what seems to divide us and let it begin in the church, in our homes, and then let reconciliation spread abroad like the fire of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be neighborly, friendly, and godly, totally concerned about the welfare of people, nation, and our world. Our Father, if we will love you and each other, then the world will know that we are Christians by the love and care we exhibit. So we ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Please help us. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you forgive us. Forgive our hardened hearts in which we have lost the meaning of love sometimes. I pray that our hearts are not as hard as the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, but that we come back and reconcile in knowledge of who you are, a God who loves us. I give you thanks for the times that we've been able to see what is going on in our world, but not only that, to start loving again, to start finding 
love again. I pray that for, from this moment on to the future, we work towards that, that they know us because of our love and that out of everything that we know, whether that be faith, that be hope, that love is the one that remains above all. I pray, Father God, that you just encounter us, heal our hearts. I pray that out of everything, that love remains and will endure forever. I pray that you just are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, we come praising you as our Lord and Savior. Thank you that your word reminds us that you are the creator of the ends of the earth and no man can fathom your understanding. When we think of you, we are filled with wonder and awe. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, how we need your help to know that you have created each of us and gifted us uniquely. Help us to recognize the differences that you have created in all of us. Oh Lord, we need your help. We need new eyes to see people you have created as you see them. Lord, help us to put on Jesus glasses and see people of all colors as you do your creation. Lord, thank you for the ultimate reconciliation that has come through your only son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are asking as your redeemed people, show us, teach us, remind us how to be reconciled to one another, to live in peace and harmony, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, to see that we need each other and to seek your help in living a life that is pleasing to you. Help us by your Holy Spirit, I pray. In the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen.